Welcome in to another exciting episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast, episode three of season nine here with the podcast. Jeff, who do we have batting leadoff for our interviews tonight? Yeah, batting uh, leadoff, ESPN, SEC Network, kind of does sideline, does a little bit of all. He's got a uh, talk show on uh, the SEC Network, Cole Kublik. I follow him on Instagram, follow him on Twitter. Uh, if you look up his name, great follow. Uh, always does some interesting stuff with the SEC uh, network. But Cole Kublik uh, leading off. Yeah, does an excellent job. And the two spot tonight will be Corey Glore. He is the voice of the Tulane Green Wave. Of course, Tulane and Southern Miss will get after it on Saturday. Really good catching up with Corey. In the three spot tonight will be Ryan Young. He is the a writer and has helped build the Mississippi High School Sports Page Facebook group to nearly 70,000 members, which is just truly incredible. The next guest in a cleanup spot tonight will be TJ Wary. He is going to host for the first time on Friday night, um, and he'll get the details of this. I'll give a Cliff Notes version. It's going to be similar to the Red Zone channel on the NFL Network, Jeff, where they come in and out of different ball games. Normally, of course, by the name is when they're going to be in scoring plays. But on this show, they're going to attempt to come in and out of different live streams. Yeah, and it's going to be something – uh, as he talks about in his interviews, that's never been done uh, that I know of in high school football uh, live on a Friday night. We always, I mean, we all know the scoreboard show that comes on uh, the old dial radio that we all listen to and online uh, that simulcast all over the state that, 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 you know, has call-ins and talks about the scores. But this is actually going to show highlights and, uh, and talking about the score in place. So something that's uh, kind of unheard of. Uh, in Mississippi high school football. Yep, and then the cap the show on the uh, cap there will be a roundtable with some of our Talking Ball Y'all media group. We primarily focus on 4A and 5A, and we do that because you are the voice of the Pearl River Central Blue Devils. I'm the voice of the Picayune Maroon Tide. And then we had Jason Baker, the voice of the Popperville Hornets, here as part of our media group that covers live football on Friday night. And then my color analyst, uh, Ricky Whitaker, was here with us. David Burnett, who hosts and co uh, hosts some of our shows here, including the Picayune uh, preview and Picayune post game uh, podcast, was here in person. So we were able to all kind of chop it up about what we've seen from our teams on Friday night and what we look for them down the road. Yeah, and it was a great time to have everybody here sitting on the couch. Of course, we're talking. Uh, you know, football, that's what we do, talking ball. That's the famous quote from head coach Seth Smith from Pearl River Community <laughs> College, talking ball, y'all. I mean, that's what we do. Uh, we do it on the side because we love it. We love the kids. We love to uh, give the exposure to the programs. And, Clay, I want to make mention uh, real quick of a, of a guy uh, down just in Diaberville way, Jeremy Forehand. We picked up talking ball, y'all, has a Diaberville postgame podcast. He reached out. Uh, look, we've we're, look, we've got the Iberville on 
uh, this year on Friday nights after the game or early Saturday morning. Depends on uh, when the interviews come in, what they what they got. I'm producing post-game podcast, and we have a D'Iberville uh, post-game podcast, too, as a part of the Talking Ball Y'all Media Group. So everything uh, from a little bitty old small broadcast in Popperville, uh, Mississippi, with Talking Ball Y'all as the coaches and, and the administration in Popperville took a faith. Now in 2022, we have, uh, we have all three county schools as far as the Talking Ball Y'all Media group, plus we picked up D'Iberville as far as a post-game uh, podcast show. Yep, excellent point by you, Jeff. We hope that our listeners will sit back, enjoy these interviews, and the roundtable discussion there at the end. Hi, I'm Sawyer. Are you tired of shopping for the best injury for the Rose Premium? Talk to my dad and let him do the shopping for you. Call Ray Hart at A-plus. Insurances right here in Big For home, auto, business, or life. For all your insurance needs. Call 601-798-8032. A-plus insurance is the right coverage for the right price. We're now honored to be joined by Cole Kublik, analyst for ESPN and the SEC Network. Cole, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Yeah, man. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Cole, when you are uh, look at the first three weeks of college football, kind of your impressions uh, closer to home in the SEC, is it kind of played out like you thought it would or any major surprises through these first few weeks? Oh, I mean, I think, you know, what Auburn's done – and how they looked against Penn State was still a bit of a surprise. I thought that defensive line would be one one group that they could hang their hat on that, that we wouldn't have to worry about and be concerned about how they were going to play, what they were going to be capable of, and that just hasn't really been the case. Um, I thought the quarterback play would be a little bit better. I thought it would take a step. Kind of hadn't really seen that. Um, nationally, I think, you know, just <clears throat> get set for a weird season. You know, we're going to get upsets. We've already had them. A group of five teams over – Power five teams, you know, FCS teams over power five teams. And I, I don't think that's going to end because, you know, I think what you have is, you know, some power five teams are trying to bring in transfers and they don't really have the continuity. And then some of the lower tier schools that do have the continuity are able to add a guy or two that's going to make them very different. But they have the understanding of what it's like collectively to play together and operate as a unit. So, um, I think we're going to get more upsets. I, I'm still pretty confident that there's three great teams right now in college football, and I think that there's a few that we're still waiting on. And I don't know what to make of Michigan just yet. I don't know what to make of Oklahoma just yet. Clemson, Southern Cal, um, could Kentucky or Arkansas, Tennessee, could they be teams that like jump into Tier 2 and be knocking on the door of where Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State is? Um, don't really, Don't really know much about Oklahoma State right now and what they're all about. Uh, you know, NC State's another team. Penn State looks like they're flying up and what they've done. So I think we still have a clear Tier 1. We have a group of teams that look like they might be in Tier 2. Some are going to fall out. A few others are going to climb in. And then I think probably, you know, that Tier 3 in college football is pretty crowded right now. You're going to see a lot of teams go up and down over the course of the year that we think are top 10 teams bottom of the top 10 that maybe end up being out of the top 25 and vice versa. 
Cole, when you look at college football as a whole with the NIL, the transfer portal, a lot of people say, you know, the rich get richer. That being said, how cool was it to see the scene for college game day and the Sun Belt being involved? You kind of talk about a weird season. That was weird in a very good way, right? No, absolutely. I mean, listen, I've, I called Sun Belt games for four years. So I know what some of those environments have looked like. You know, I saw Troy when they were rolling. I've seen the cages when they're rolling. You know, the tailgating there is as good as it is in any Power 5 school. Um, so there are some wonderful environments that you can be a part of and you can be around. You know, UAB right here in Birmingham has got a brand-new stadium, downtown Birmingham, that is just immaculate. So I think we forget about some of those sometimes, and the passion is just the same. It just might not be as many people from a population standpoint that are as passionate as there are for some of the Power 5 teams. But – it's still great level football. Like I've, I've talked about the last couple of years, like how good a group of five playoff would be with teams like BYU and Coastal Carolina and, you know, Louisiana the last few years and what they've been doing. Uh, Liberty, when Malik Willis was there, you know, UAB the last few years with Bill Clark and what they were able to do. Like there are some, some games that we would all love to watch and would be a lot of fun. You know, Northern Illinois was a hell of a team last year. They went from not winning a game to winning the MAC. So I, the, the level of ball there is great. It's just the depth is not quite the same. And some of those environments are a lot better than people realize because they've just never been there. Closer to home here, Cole, your impressions um, for Ole Miss to start the season, and I'll follow up with Mississippi State after that. But let's start with Ole Miss. Um, you know, Ole Miss is kind of one of those wait-and-see teams for me still, but I described Ole Miss as the team that had – the biggest gap between ceiling and floor coming into this season. We just, there was no way to really know because there were going to be too many pieces. And that's not just players. I mean, was it 40 some percent of the rosters transfer portal? Like it's, I mean, you look at Ole Miss right now and you got your, your, your top three of your top, well, your top four leading rushers are transfers. Your leading passer is a transfer. Uh, I think five of your top six receivers are transfers. Uh, Three, your top three leading tacklers are transfers. Every player on your roster that's recorded an interception is a transfer. Uh, I think six of your top seven or eight players that were recorded a sack this year are transfers. You got a starting offensive lineman that's a transfer. I mean, it's, it's remarkable that Lane has been able to get this many new guys on the same page based on how much they run. And there is a simplistic facet to what Lane does as far as what they attach and how they build off certain plays. But they've added some things that are really cool. I like this run game right now maybe more than any run game I've seen in college football. Wow. It is so cool to watch. It's so fun to watch. Zach Evans is dynamic. I think Quinshawn Judkins has got to be the surprise of college football. And maybe because they haven't played massive opponents yet, or he's kind of sharing the backfield a little bit. People don't know about him. But I'm going to tell you, when you watch him, he glides, man. Like, it is an effortless style of running the football when you watch it, but he can bring the thunder and he can run through you. He can run around you. He's fluid. He is just, he is going to be an excellent college running back. And I don't think they're as good as quarterback as they have been, but they might not need to be hmm. because, you know, Nick Broker and those guys are playing pretty good ball up front. And then they, they've added a tight end that it's athletic and can catch. And Michael Trigg, by the way, is not afraid to get in there and mix it up. That's one thing I really like about him. Like, he'll put his hand in the dirt, he'll line up in line next to a tackle, and he'll give you really good effort. Like, I don't need a tight end to be 
you know, a devastating blocker like a George Kittle, but like just give me the effort. Hmm. Like if you'll get in there and give me like put your face mask in a guy's chest and at least go at it full speed, I'm all about you. <laughs> and we can get away with that. We'll be fine with that. And Michael Trigg gives you that. So I, I have just been really blown away with getting a new offensive coordinator, you know, losing one of your defensive coordinators, losing your strength coach, and for Lane to have everything on this much of the same page right now is absolutely remarkable, in my opinion. And I understand that's – I'll still label them wait and see because of the level of competition. Like, Central Arkansas is not going to teach me a lot. You did more than people probably thought you would against Georgia Tech, regardless of what the situation is there, on the road at a Power 5 team. So I'm going to give you credit for that. And uh, I was a fan of how they handled their business over there. And if that defense is really coming along, once again, we don't really know just yet, but it looks like it is. Because last year, everybody thought they took a huge step, and I just I thought it was a baby step. This year, it looks like they might take a much bigger step. And if they have, Ole Miss is going to be a problem for a lot of people this year. Cole, with a guy that gets as much attention, and rightfully so, because he, he tries to draw it to himself, and with some of his past, is it possible that he gets uh, gets to be an underrated when it comes to X's as O's as uh, Lane Kiffin? No, I don't think he's underrated. Uh, I think he's one of the best that, that I've ever seen. Um, and I think the cool part about Lane that a lot of people might not know is, you know, like Coach Saban gets a ton of credit for bringing Lane in and opening his offense up. Not that Coach Saban shouldn't, but I don't think people realize how many times Lane has made major adjustments to what he wants to run. Now, were there times that Kendall Browse was calling it at FAU? Yeah. Was Jeff Levy calling it at Ole Miss? Yeah. But it doesn't mean that he couldn't step in and take it over right away and be just as successful. And it doesn't mean that he's not heavily you know, having input week in, week out, day in, day out, because he is. You know, I, I, we had a really cool conversation with him a while back, and he was talking about when he was at USC and they went up to Oregon and got their ass kicked. Or maybe, maybe Oregon came to the Coliseum. And they put like 70 on him. It was Chip Kelly's offense. And he said he went to Sark after the game, and he's like, we got to go study that. We got to start doing what they're mm -hmm. doing. Yeah. And they took a portion of, you know, they took a portion of the tempo and a portion of how they spread things out and began to utilize it. Well, now look what he does with, you know, sort of the Bryles tree of spread hmm. offenses and how that's implemented into what he's doing. Um, like, I'll give you a perfect example this year. So Ole Miss is running a play right now. I call it zone counter. Uh, I don't really know what else to call it. Um, when I describe it, you'll see it next time you watch him play. And it's usually Evans that runs it. And, He'll take, they'll block just straight zone to the left. And Evans will take like one or two big steps to the right, and then he'll plant that foot and come back across. So it basically looks just like counter, but you're not pulling anybody. You're blocking hmm. it like zone. And the, uh, they bludgeon Georgia Tech with that play. And it is just a, it's a really cool, unique play that I've never seen anybody else run. I'm sure they got it somewhere and somebody else has run it, or maybe I should have seen it somewhere else, but I don't recall seeing anybody else do it that way. And it's been super effective. So, I mean, he went and got some of Chip Kelly's offense, you know. He, you know, he got with Sark. You know, they they kind of meshed together and took things from each other. I think a lot of his motion stuff comes from Sark and what he does. Then he went and got some of the Browse tree, and he's added that into his offense. So there's no part of Lane Kiffin that just sits there and runs the same stuff every year. That doesn't happen. He's not that kind of guy. And I don't think he gets enough credit for how innovative he is and how much he has changed and morphed over the years either. Impressions on Mississippi State, Cole? 
Yeah, the game last week was just disappointing. Um, you got to protect better against rushing three and four. Uh, and LSU's got good rushers, man. That Harold Perkins kid's going to be really good. Uh, you got Ali Gay, BJ Ojari, who are just proven edge defenders. It was a it was a bad matchup up front for them because LSU has the bodies to play three down and be able to affect the quarterback. Um, you know, special teams, of course, had a big impact on that game. Rodgers wasn't necessarily on like he has been. I'm still a big fan of him. Uh, I think Will Rogers vastly underrated. They have good skill, good running backs, good receivers. You know, the defense is not super athletic, but, man, they're tough and they'll fight you. And I do think that there still is a part of that, that Zach Arnett needs to continue to try to negotiate when to be super aggressive and maybe when not to be super aggressive. But I, I still have high hopes for what State's going to be able to accomplish this year. They're, they're a fun team to watch. They have fun players to watch. And obviously, you know, Coach Lee looks like he's a little more, more dedicated to running the yeah, ball this he year. He's actually handed it off a couple of times. So, Cole, maybe the most important question I'll ask you, what shoes you packing for your trip this week? Uh, I have not decided that yet. You know, we don't have a, uh, we don't have a sneaker deal right now. So we're kind of just trying to figure out, uh, on a weekly basis, what to rotate in, what to rotate out. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll get something good for sure. There's no doubt, but just have not made that decision. Usually it's kind of a game time decision as we get uh, closer to actually having to put everything in the suitcase. There you go, man. Appreciate your time, Cole. Have a good week. Hey, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, buddy. Bank with your hometown bank, FNB Picayune Bank. With four branches in Picayune, a branch in Poplarville and Wiggins, and soon to have a branch in Dekeel. The name has changed, but the employees continue to be the same friendly faces, offering you the same great service. So do your banking with your hometown bank. We are now pleased to be joined by Corey Glor, the Director of Broadcasting and Voice of the Tulane Green Wave. Corey, thanks for taking time for the podcast. I appreciate it, Clay. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, we're looking at the Southern Miss Tulane ball game that's coming up this Saturday. But Corey, you're in your second year there with Tulane. Can you kind of give our listeners a bit of your background and how you found yourself in the Crescent City? Sure. I, uh, I'm originally from Illinois, and uh, I started working in broadcasting shortly after college. I graduated from Northern Illinois University and was working at a small radio station in Wisconsin where I was able to pick up some, some minor league baseball games and some, some high school football and basketball games, semi-pro football. I hosted a show there, so um, I did pretty much everything under the sun at this kind of small sports radio station in Wisconsin. And then uh, in 2014, I moved to North Carolina to start working with IMG College and their headquarters in Winston-Salem, where I was hosting for TCU football and basketball on the radio network. I was producing some broadcasts, including Tulane, as it turned out, and, and a weird bit of irony. I produced Tulane's broadcast for a couple of years in 2015 and 16. Um, I even I, I ran and, and hosted some Southern Miss baseball on the radio network in 2015, so that I can tie into what we're talking about here. So I worked with John Cox for a wow. spring, uh, and then I started calling baseball at East Carolina in 2016. And I spent six seasons there before I was able to get the job here at Tulane last summer, where I oversee our network and I also call football, men's basketball, and baseball here on our radio network. 
So, Corey, I'm going to go broadcasting nerd here a little bit. That opportunity to hear all the different voices kind of that you described there. Is there a, a voice or two out in the radio world that um, you follow along and you've got your pen and pad out while you're listening to? Would you mind sharing some of those with me personally and also our li listening audience since they're out there? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I did not go to school for broadcasting. I'm not part of, you know, the, the Syracuse mafia <laughs> in sports broadcasting or yeah. anything like that. So, so working at IMG was really my kind of my graduate program of of learning how to do this. And, and I got paired with TCU right away. And the guy who calls games there, Brian Estridge, I think he is one of the best in the business. And, and learning from him and learning how to operate uh, a broadcast both on the air and behind the scenes has been pretty invaluable to me. You know, I got to work, you know, I got to spend one winter with Nick Hubert, who was at Florida for a long time, mm. just retired, yeah. um, and listening to him call a game and interacting with him was a, a real joy. And, you know, I, I you know, listening to, to John call baseball in the spring of 2015 and getting to know him a little bit that way, that was really special for me, for someone who's an icon in this industry. And, you know, at East Carolina, I got to work with Jeff Charles, who's been there for, you know, three decades now. And, you know, just picking up bits and pieces of not just listening to these guys, but listening how passionate that they are, learning more about those fan bases. You know, Todd Graffinini, who called games here at Tulane for upwards of 20 years, and now he's with the Pelicans. He's been a big supporter of mine over the years. And so I had a little bit of a knowledge of, the fan base here when I got this job last summer just by working and interacting with him. So uh, I think you'll find in college sports here, Clay, you get the nice blend of, of guys who love doing this and love doing it for their particular programs. And this is where I think passion still comes through in broadcasting, maybe more so than professional sports. So I hope, you know, fans listening into this have spent a lot of time listening to John over the years um, because he's as good as anybody in the country doing this. Well, I appreciate you uh, saying that. I'm sure John will as well. It's neat. You brought up passion and kind of the overlay. I saw some uh, uh, graphs, uh, interactions with you on Twitter, and I thought that's a really cool kind of tip of the hat back to you and the job uh, that you're doing. Actually, that interaction was like, okay, I'm asking him to be on the show. Graph's been on uh, to talk Pelicans basketball a few times, and I think the New Orleans market and what he does with pro basketball is really so fun to listen to him call, of course, with his accent, with his flair, and with his uh, passion for the Pels. You really unique call of, of a Pelicans uh, broadcast, and I thought seeing y'all's interaction was really pretty neat. Yeah, when I started working uh, kind of behind the scenes on the Tulane Network back in 2015, that's when my interaction with Graf started. And, you know, it developed even stronger when I started calling baseball at East Carolina. And so I would come across Tulane you know twice a year once in the regular season then in the conference tournament so i had to know him that way as well and then he got the job with the pelicans and i was still at east carolina for a couple of years during the pandemic uh season and then the season after that but then uh the my predecessor here andrew allegretta um who i i talk with pretty regularly as well um, he had the job at vanderbilt and so that opened up this position here and i know when, when that happened 
Uh, Graf was a, a very strong supporter of mine, uh, not just to me, but uh, to a lot of people still here on the Uptown campus. And so he, he has been instrumental to me being a part of this place and being able to do what I've been wanting to do for a long time, and that's call games for a living. That's all good stuff, good stuff. So let's look at this uh, game that you'll have the call for this weekend. Some intriguing storylines with broadcasters. Like, how do you see the Southern Miss uh, two-lane game as you're uh, probably about halfway or maybe putting even finishing touches on your game that's getting ready? Yeah, I mean, I'll say this. There, there's been so much, I think, positive attention steered towards this two-lane program now after what they did last week at Kansas State that I think an opponent like Southern Miss coming in is going to be a huge benefit because in scenarios like this, it's kind of a tale as old as time. When you grab a big win like this team did and a win that you know not many were anticipating was going to be in the cards, there is a natural tendency to kind of slack off a bit. But there are constant reminders around this program, around these players, and around this athletic department about what this rivalry is and means to people here as well as the folks that will be coming down from Hattiesburg. The, the bell is, is prominently featured in the lobby of our athletics building right now. Uh, and so everyone's walking past it here this week. Um, and they have every intention of trying to keep it here in Uptown instead of yielding it over to the Eagles here by the end of Saturday night. So in scenarios like this, you know, I, I just look, you know, you can look at uh, what App State had just had to go through there, Clay, and they get the big win at A&M. They have college game day come in and then they nearly lose to Troy at home. And so I think there's something that you can glean from that. And Troy is a little bit of a rival to App State as well. And so to have a team like Southern Miss coming in where the fan base here, you know, th there are two teams that they just want to beat regardless of the competition. It's LSU and Southern Miss. And so the fact that this is now the game on the schedule, uh, this should keep this team focus much more on the task at hand coming up Saturday, not necessarily resting on their laurels of what they were able to pull off last Saturday. When you look at the relationship between Coach Hall and Coach Fritz, how has that uh, dynamic kind of added uh, something to and maybe a more positive aspect when you talk about uh, a rivalry, um, no love lost between uh, the two programs? But, boy, it's been a gush fest between those two guys, which is kind of refreshing to see in college athletics. Yeah, I mean, to, to see something like this happen and, you know, Will left on such great terms here to take the job at Hattiesburg. And, you know, aside from, I would imagine, this week, uh, Willie Fritz and Will Hall, you know, are still in regular communication with each other. I can't imagine they've been doing much texting back and forth here over the last couple of days. Um, but to, to have this where, you know, without the job that Will was able to do here with his offense for a couple of years, he wouldn't be in that spot right now trying to bring USM back to where they should be. And without the work that Will Hall did here, then, you know, Willie Fritz is in a spot where, you know, he isn't able to use some of the guys on offense that he's using now. There are a couple of guys here that were around when Will Hall was here. And, and that also creates the dynamic of there aren't a ton of 
secrets maybe right now, even though it's a different offensive coordinator, different philosophy here, obviously, for Tulane. But the players are still the players that were around a couple of years back when Will was last here. And that goes defensively, too. It's a pretty veteran defense this Tulane club has. And so Will was around that group not too long ago and knows how they operate and their skill set on where they should be. And it also goes to the fact that, you know, Chris Hampton runs a similar kind of defense that Southern Miss does right now. There's a relationship there between the two defensive coordinators. And so there, there really isn't a lot that separates these two on how they do things because the tree and the branches that kind of sprawl out between these two programs intertwine quite a bit. So it, it's a, another fascinating layer to a game that's been circled on calendars, I think, on both sides of the, of the aisle here. Uh, since the schedule came out, and then you add in just all the relationships that exist between players, between coaches, and, and everywhere in between, and you got a recipe for a pretty fun night. Should be fun. The quarterback play for Tulane has certainly been fun. I'm, I'm trying to remember back, was that Pratt's first few snaps um, in that afternoon at Southern Miss? Is, is that right? I'm trying to remember back. Yep, you're it, right, yeah. yep. That, that was his first game of being the quarterback of this team. And, and aside from a game last year in which he got injured and couldn't play, um, he's been the starting quarterback ever since. So it was that Southern Miss game in 2020 that was kind of the debut and the emergence of Michael Pratt as this team's quarterback. And you mentioned the defensive play paired with the way he's played, the expectation in New Orleans. New Orleans such a city that uh, can you can be entertained literally everywhere you look. I'm sure Tulane uh, is it, hard at times to draw to draw that type of attention. But this club, with the start that they've had, what's the expectation and the attention level uh, that the Green Wave have gotten here, especially after the upset win? Yeah, it's increased here, Clay. I mean, Tuesdays are the, the media availability day after practice here for Tulane, and, and that was the most attended session that we've had here, even from last year, um, and certainly this year. And so to now have the city kind of key in a little bit on what's going on here, um, coupled with who is coming in this weekend, there is a little bit more of a buzz uh, around this program. You know, our sideline reporter covers the Saints for USA Today. She was at the Saints game on Sunday and everyone kept asking her about Tulane's win. Um, and, and there is a legitimate um, curiosity now, I think, around the city about what this team could potentially do. I mean, last year was such a miserable year here, Clay, that I think everyone was anticipating certainly a better show in 2022 um, and hopefully getting back to a bowl game. Now we're a quarter into the season. There are nine games left here, Clay, and a lot can happen. But the fact that they're 3-0 and and just grabbed a win over a team that had been very close to being a top 25 team that had gotten a lot of talk about being a dark horse contender in the Big 12. Now suddenly, um, a little bit of the perception starting to shift here about bowl game to maybe being a, a, a true honest challenger in the American. They have to get through Saturday. Like they, they cannot look at Southern Miss and just say, all right, we're good and move on because conference play starts next week. Um, you got to finish off non-conference in style. And, and that means taking care of business here and, and retaining the belt. Because otherwise, the goodwill that's been built up here in this city, and you're right, it's, it's a little challenging to 
kind of grab the headlines here in this city with how much love there is for the Saints. LSU is still dominant here in this city. Even the Pelicans here of late have garnered a lot of attention. And so the fact that Tulane's starting to get some headlines now and get some attention here, they got to take advantage of it. And that means pushing the non-conference season across the goal line for them. Corey, when you get ready to make your, your site chart and you're looking at numbers for Southern Miss, what do you kind of make of the Southern Miss club as you're in prep for? How do you see it um, from a, a Tulane's perspective if you prepare for Southern Miss? Well, I'll tell you this. It makes me feel old to see Frank Gore Jr. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I just like, I, I, you know, I, I'm 35. You can call me whatever you like there in terms of age. Uh, I feel old, but then when I see Frank Gore Jr. bumming around, boy, that just makes me feel ancient. I mean, uh, Tulane has done such a, a great job on running games ever since really the second half uh, of their week one game against UMass. They, they did not know what UMass was really going to do. There was so much unknown about that team. And all they did was run the ball, even with the quarterbacks. And so halftime, they really switched gears. And since then, no one's been able to run on this team, including Kansas State. And Deuce Vaughn is going to be an NFL caliber running back. They have not played the strongest passing games yet in the first three weeks of the year. And because of that, in some respects because of that their numbers against the pass are best in the country right now defensively and so i'm more curious to see if, if zach wilkie or, or kai keys like depending on how coach hall is going to be spinning those two at quarterback how Tulane handles that because i think they're going to see frankly a team that's a trying to get a little bit more competent throwing the ball than maybe the teams that they have seen in the previous three weeks of the year. And if there's going to be a quarterback rotation here with the Golden Eagles, and there might be, um, then figuring out how to balance the two. Uh, Because right now that secondary has been dynamite on locking things down. They still are kind of waiting to see a quarterback that will really, really test them. And so maybe with what... The improvements have been for USM offensively here to start this year and a little bit more cohesion on that side of the ball. Um, Maybe this is the week in which they get a little bit more of that test. They haven't allowed a play over 30 yards yet on the year. Um, They haven't committed a penalty yet on defense this season, and they have not allowed a point in any of their second halves this year. Um, And so I think they are looking at Southern Miss's offense as a potential to really test them on the back five. Um, now, Southern Miss is still figuring out what they have at quarterback, but I think they're in a better spot to beat the three teams that they've seen, even Kansas State last week. Cool. We've talked about Pratt and his play at quarterback. You've given some incredible defensive numbers there and really credited uh, that defense in large part to this 3-0 and start. Who would be the, the quarterback on defense for this Tulane uh, club or a, a guy, if you're a Southern Miss fan, peeking in that you want to keep your eyes out uh, to potentially have a big game for that Green Wave defense? Well, I'll give you the linebacking duo of Nick Anderson and Dorian Williams here. Clay Anderson's a Vicksburg guy. He will probably know a good number of these guys on the Southern Miss sideline. He uh, he went to Jones Community College to start off collegiately, and he is is been truly the leader of this defense since he stepped on campus. He is one of the two defensive captains on this team, and Dorian Williams alongside him is the other. This is an NFL linebacker, Dorian Williams. He is 
big body, 225. He flies to the football. Um, and this is a 4-2-5 defense here, Clay. And so they, they lean a lot on their edge rushers to cause havoc. But they really changed up a lot against Kansas State last week. They were playing three linebacker sets at times. They will play four linebackers and put a couple up on the edge of the defensive line to cause a little bit more of a rush. Um, and, and those two guys, Dorian Williams and Nick Anderson, can pretty much do anything. And, you know, Tulane had four stops on fourth down last wow. week against Kansas State. Nick Anderson had two of those, the first one and the final one. I mean, it's that type of guy where he's a little bit undersized and he knows it, but boy, does he know where to be in the right spot at the right time. I mean, so for USM fans watching on defense for Tulane, number one and number two, they are right there in the second level, and those numbers are pretty representative of how important they are to how this Tulane defense operates. Good stuff, Corey, man. We appreciate uh, you letting us steal some of your time. Have a great call on Saturday. Thank you, Clay. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this environment. I, I've called a few baseball games in this rivalry here this past spring, but I get the sense uh, Saturday night is going to be uh, pretty rocking here at Yeoman. So I'm looking forward to seeing what unfolds. Should be a lot of fun. Thank you again, man. Thanks, Clay. Around here, the tougher things get, the better we are. Because all around Pearl River County, you'll find people working together. Like your two hospitals, Highland Community and Pearl River County, working together with Forest Health to bring you health care that's coordinated and complete. We're here for you now, and you know we'll be here tomorrow. Highland Community Hospital, Pearl River County Hospital, and Forest Health. Two great hospitals, one incredible health system. We are now excited to be joined by Ryan Young, sports writer for the Mississippi High School Sports Page. Ryan, thanks for taking time for the podcast uh yeah man i really appreciate you having me on man it's a long time overdue huh yes sir it really is we've been talking about this for a while we have we have man and we've been in spots we've been in ocean springs together and i was fighting getting ready uh for the spring game uh, broadcast for picune so we couldn't make it happen then and then i guess we were in jdc together i don't know if i ever saw you that night than other down on the field uh, conducting your post-game uh, interviews if we just uh, crossed each other in passing but never made it happen. So I'm glad to have you on. Uh, yeah, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, I was pretty busy that night against JDC. Yeah, you were down at that, was it, at the uh, McGee Sports Bar? What had you busy, huh? Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I, hey, I loved it. Let's camp out there for a second, man. What an atmosphere that is over at JDC. Um, you know, everybody wants to put an A by it, and they are a 3A, but that atmosphere there on a Friday night is, is pretty special. Yeah, you could put that up there with any other high school across the nation, especially when you look at how many fans they have standing around the side of the field, you know what I'm saying, around the sidelines, up by the concession stands, and when you look at that, they have the whole stands full. So, yeah, man, I love that. That was my first time being there. You got people uh, tailgating right across the street over there. Then, like I said, you got McGee's right down there at the sports bar. Now, I love that atmosphere. That's, that's, that's one of the best atmospheres I ever experienced. A really good uh, spot to take in a ball game. For sure. All right, Ryan, let's look at the north half of the state. Me and the guys from the uh, Picune 
podcast later in this episode, we'll talk about the four and the five a kind of district looks for both Picayune and Popperville. But I wanted to get get you on so you could give us a look way out in front, like coaches and players. They can't look out in front, but guys like us, we can kind of daydream and look what potentially is out there. And Big Louisville may be out there for Popperville or Columbia. Am I right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. When it comes to the North, when it comes to the North, man, I got my eyes on three teams. It's definitely Louisville, Clarksdale, and Itawamba AHS. Those three schools right there, you're going to have to keep your eyes on right there this year, man. Louisville had a very great game with Starkville the other night. I know a lot of people know that I'm a Louisville fan, but I'm not being biased, man. That defensive line that we have is nasty. We have so many different players that can rotate in and out the game. And then when you look at Clarksdale, Clarksdale is kind of similar with their defensive line. They got a lot of guys that can come in and out. Clarksdale also has a very good secondary. Their quarterback, He's busted off 60, 70, 80-yard runs a game, and he's also turning around playing very good on defense. Then they got another guy on defense named Patrick Broomfield that's very good. And Itawamba AHS, man, their quarterback, he threw for over 2,700 yards last year, and, man, he's doing that this year again, and half the time he's not even playing in the second half. Then they got Isaac Smith, who a lot of people say is the best player in the state. He's cutting up doing his thing on offense at running back this year. We all know how aggressive he is. And then they also got a transfer from TCPS by the name of Holiday, who's doing his thing. Man, they got a lot of guys. They got a lot of guys in the Wubba AHS. So it's not gonna it's not gonna be a cakewalk for Louisville. I think I think Louisville just you know I think Louisville just makes so much noise whenever they do win big games. So a lot of times a lot of people go ahead and just kind of write them off as the people to watch in North Ham. Well, let's look at that atmosphere. You brought up the ball game, uh, Louisville and Starkville. What was that atmosphere like uh, prior to? And then you mentioned um, Seven just a few years ago. Seven was Cooper. He was the state player of the year, and Louisville won that uh, state championship, did the Wildcats. Tell us more about number seven uh, this time, but start with the atmosphere that you got to see on Friday night. Man, it was, if you if you watch our YouTube on Wildcats, Lewis Wildcats, I think it's Powercats TV, you'll hear where Coach Shorter's talking about how they had stopped that game at one time and they brought it back. Man, this is a big time game right here. They got our number like probably 48 to 26 all time. But you know what I'm saying? It's, you're talking about two of the best schools who together share 16 state championships. You know what I'm saying? You're talking about kids who are kin to each other, who grew up with each other, who know each other well. Man, this was a great game. Like I said, man, it was Louisville. You know, we tailgate in the back with the with the people back there grilling and stuff and all that, man. You had people all around the field. You had Starkville fans standing around. It was a great game, man. A lot of trash talking going on, man. It, it was it was it, it, it was a great game. And as far as uh, Gabe Gabriel Moore, number seven goes, man. Six five, two hundred and fifty, twenty twenty three guy. 
who hasn't been to a lot of camps and things like that. So a lot of people don't know about him. So a lot of people was waiting to see what he was going to do in his first four games this season to really, you know, pop his recruiting off and really get his name out there going. But I'm going to tell you something, man. This kid can play defensive tackle. He can play nose guard or he can play defensive end. I don't know exactly what they're going to do with him yet. He'll be at a visit at Ole Miss this week. He's committed to Troy now, but I'm expecting him to pick up some Power 5 offers soon, man. This kid right here is is amazing. He, he, he He's just crucial with, 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 with his strength, you know what I'm saying? If I could if I could ask for him to be a little better, I would want to see him be a little more violent with his hands. I would love to see him be a lot more violent with his hands, and sometimes he kind of comes off the ball a little high. I would love to see him stay low when he comes off the ball. But other than that, man, he's a, he's a great player, and he's definitely going to be one of the guys that probably will be in the name for Mr. Foray this year. When you look at that matchup, Starkville and Louisville, you had Coach Shorter and Coach Jones, uh, two really good uh, coaches there. Man, I've been so impressed with uh, Coach Shorter. You can't help but, but pay him attention. But when you call a ball game, you, you kind of get into X's and O's. And he really, really impressed me a couple years ago in a win over Popperville in a state title ball game. Talk about... Um, Coach Shorter, what you know about him, and he stepped into really big uh, shoes to fill, and, and I believe in Coach Miller, who retired there, was a legendary uh, coach, but speak to our listeners on, on Coach Shorter. Man, Coach Shorter is, to me, is one of the best coaches that the state has ever seen, and is definitely one of the best coaches that the, that the state still has. You talk about a guy who won four state championships, four state championships at Knoxville County as a head coach. He won there in 2012, 2014, 2015, and 2017. We're talking about a guy that won four state championships in, what, five years over there? Yeah, we're talking about a guy that won four state championships in, four, in five or six years over there. And then when you add in the one, that he won in Louisville in 2020. We're talking about five and eight or nine years. You know what I'm saying? This, this guy, he's a great, he's, he's a guy that he, he isn't, uh, he isn't with the, with a lot of the, the young new things that goes on. He's an old school guy, man. He comes from an old school. He gets guys prepared. He's a great, uh, to me, I think that he's a great game planner. He, he, he comes up after every game when I listen to him, he always speaks, he always tells his guys about how he's going to have a great game plan for them when they get back to practice Monday. Uh, I, I think that he does that so well, man. He, he does a great job of getting his guys settled on the field. He does a great job of getting his coaches prepared. You know what I'm saying? He's one of those guys that like to have all his coaches dressed in the same way. You know, he's one of those old school guys that you you, you got to love, man. He, he, he's a winner. He's obviously a winner. He got five state championships, four at Knoxville County, one at Louisville, man. I mean, it's it's it's... it's it's so much more that you could just say about him, man. He's a great coach. He really is. And then you mentioned the uh, signal caller at Itawamba, Ty Davis. That's a guy that our guy, Wyatt Davis, uh, and Austin work with, with the uh, 601 elite quarterback. So they continue to prep him and get him right. He's putting up huge numbers uh, up at Itawamba. When we look at the 5A 
uh, side of things. Let's give that a rundown uh, from the top, Ryan, and, and what you see coming and potentially be there. Now, I'm I'm following the Picayune Maroon Tide on Friday nights, week in and week out, and so I can't put the cart before the horse, but uh, who do you look to uh, see late in the playoffs from the 5A side from the north? Man, it's, it's, it's looking real tricky right mm -hmm. now, man. I, I'm, I'm not even... I'm I'm not even sure right now, man. Uh, at first, I was kind of sold on Holmes, but I saw that they kind of they kind of struggled with North Panola, and they also got beat by uh, Neshoba Central. Uh, I, I I was looking forward to Vicksburg kind of being those guys, and they kind of started off a little a, a, a little hesitant this year. So I got I got to see if they if they if they jump back right and get it together, but. If I just had to say anybody, man, I, I would want to say that I want to see what what West Point's going to do. Uh, I, I I know I know that New Hope's looking good right now. Uh, I I think Holmes I think Holmes County will probably settle in and get it together. They got some big time defensive linemen who I think that when it comes down to uh, for a four quarter game, you know, say late in the season. They they are going to know what it takes to you know win a ball game. Then I gotta again look at uh Saltillo. You know what I'm saying Saltillo. I'm I'm, I'm kind of that's a name you don't hear much, but they got a lot of talent. I went to see them play. Uh, they did struggle with a three A school when I watched them play, but we all know we're coming from a school like JDC. Sometimes the age don't matter. So mm -hmm. you know so like I said, those guys right there are 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 kind of impressing me and they, they they're kind of looking real good so you know what i'm saying and I, those those are the guys right there that i'm thinking may have a chance to do something you know saying in the sober centrals your holmes county your vicksburgs your west points uh and, oh yeah ridgeland mm -hmm. too i don't know how i forgot about them I don't you wasn't gonna go far man i had you you, I, I had Coach Dice and Ridgeland. If you left them, I was gonna hit them. So go ahead with your thoughts on them. Man, listen. If 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 you're not ready for Ridgeland, man, man, listen, man. Them guys, man, them guys right there can put up some points very fast, very fast. You're talking about Aiden Williams. Jabraxton Boone, and I forgot the other guy that they got a receiver. And then you got Garrison Davis, who is just a sophomore. You can ask your boy about that. He saw him down mm -hmm. there with me, too, down there at the, um, at the, at quarterback, the quarterback camp. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, at the quarterback showcase. Yes, sir, man. Those guys could, there could put up some real fast points. I think they probably could be the ones that end up sticking it all the way through and holding it out if they can stay healthy. You know, it was funny, Dave, uh, when he got back from that camp, he tagged Coach Dice, which Coach Dice is a winner, too. He's got state state championships uh, to his name in his own right. So that was kind of a sneaky uh, hire by them. You know, they go get him, and then next thing you know, they're just loaded for bear with these players. But after that, I guess that was midsummer um, that y'all were in Hattiesburg at the uh, at Wyatt Davis's showcase camp, him and Austin Davis's showcase camp there for quarterbacks, and and David tagged uh, Coach Dice in a in a tweet, um, kind of showing off Garrison Davis's skills, and Coach Dice being clever said, "Wouldn't it be fun if we were back on that same field first weekend in December 
Uh, and if pick you and throw it a lot, I'll promise to run it a lot or so, something clever to that effect. And I yeah, kind of laughed yeah. at the time. But but now, bro, looking at it, like, he may not have been too far off. Yeah, man, he, uh, he, said, he said several times that Garrison Davis could possibly throw for 3,000 yards this season. And I think he's very close to 1,000 yards. And I know in one game he passed for 536 yards and five touchdowns. This kid is just a sophomore. He's a Kyler Murray-type quarterback, in my opinion. Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson-type. A lot of fun. And Coach Dice knows what to do with good football players, man. His his resume certainly uh, speaks for itself. So tell me what you're into, man. You're always into something. Tell us, tell our listeners, those that don't know, there's almost 70,000 members in this uh, Mississippi High School sports uh, page, Facebook group. You're doing your thing on Twitter. I see you writing some about um, some recruiting for Ole Miss. Tell, tell our listeners what all you're into, Ryan, and what your week looks like this week. Like, what game you're going to cover on Friday night? Man, um, this Friday night, I, I, I'll be back at the Toothpick Bowl this week, man. Louisville versus Knoxville County this week. I'll be back down that way, man. I'll also be at the uh, game this week versus uh, Ole Miss versus Tulsa. I'll be at that game checking out some talent from around the southeast region uh not just mississippi but like i said the whole southeast region some guys from texas uh some guys from arkansas uh some guys from alabama you know what i'm saying of course some guys from mississippi and man that's just it man i, I sit around every day man watching films just searching for new guys to talk about man so looking out for new talent you know just trying to up my skills in the recruiting analysis uh, category, you know what I mean? Just trying to do that, man. Just trying to, you know, constantly find these good guys, man, and just trying to grow in, in, in this field, man. Uh, I'm enjoying going to these games and stuff like that, and also just doing the sideline reporting thing for Max South, man. You know I got my hand full, man. All things <laughs> sports, man. Well, so I'm glad to have been able to steal uh, 15, 20 minutes from you. It's been incredible, man, to see, like, what this Facebook uh, group has done what your sports group there has done the way you've contributed uh to its growth is not lost on me man it's a a super cool um platform for for kids to get noticed for um for the fans to be able to speak their piece from weekend man some of these threads i'll lay when i get back from calling the games on friday nights that insomnia kind of kicks in it's hard to kind of to peel back and chill out and be able to find a a place to sleep and i'll get on some of these threads man and watch some of these people it is uh it's a lot of fun just man when when the page started and, and you became involved was there any way you dreamed that it'd be up to like i said nearly seventy thousand members no I, I didn't i didn't i didn't know i didn't know it was gonna get here i mean you know the page is the reason why i'm doing all of this i mean honestly you know what i'm saying the page is how we even got here the page had so much buzz and it had so much traffic that I just got here like this, man. And, and I started sports writing in January and here we are. And, and like, I, like I said, man, coaches started noticing that I was always around some of the best talent. And they started noticing that I was introducing them to some of the best talent that they have never heard of. 
And, 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 and like I said, it just all come from that page because so many people were inboxing me at times or you could just scroll through the group and see a good kid get talked about. And then I go to Twitter with the post and there it was. And man, I, I when before January, I wasn't even really on Twitter like that at all. I may got on there here or there, but I definitely wasn't on there for sports. And Coach Will Hall asked me what my Twitter page was, and I went on there and changed it up real quick, uh, changed the headline of Mississippi High School Sports page. And that was in January. I only had 983 followers, and now I got almost 6,200 followers. So, like I said, man, the, page, the Facebook page is why I'm even in the position that I am now. That's unbelievable, man. I, you know, crawl before I walk, but y'all got up, man, with that page and just sprinted. But you posted, you shared a couple times. I believe it's uh, public knowledge. I think you've shared it uh, to that group with 70,000 folks. So I'm going to ask you personally, man, uh, you've um, overcome uh, a struggle, and I brought up a sprint there, but to even be able to walk again, would you mind kind of sharing uh, to our listeners? I find it inspirational. I think they will too. Uh, kind of your some of your health journey and and where that's brought you. Yeah, man. Uh, in 2014, I was diagnosed with neurosarcoidosis. So for up to like 30 days before. I was diagnosed, you know what I'm saying? I um, I noticed that my walking was going down. At first, I thought it was because I was playing around with some guys and I had jumped off a balcony. I thought that what it came from, but it, I ended up finding out that like that what it was, that wasn't what it was because I didn't even get hurt or bruised from that. It was just that at that time the the sickness and the illness was taking a toll on me. So I went from I went from uh like squatted down trying to pick up some things at work and I wasn't able to stand up unless I rolled on my bottom and then got back to the top from like getting on my knees, you know what I'm saying, and things like that. And also I got to the point where I had to like use like a cane on my own, like I had to break a broomstick and use it as a cane to walk around. I had went to the hospital like two or three, like two times and they never did do nothing. They just gave me some pain medicine. And so it had got to the point where like two or three days before I actually went to the hospital, I had to use my ex-girlfriend's mom, Walker, to like actually walk around. I could barely walk. And the morning I went to the hospital, I woke up. When I got to the bathroom to go use the bathroom, as soon as I got to use the bathroom and stood up, I just fell. So that's when my uh, ex-girlfriend, she, uh, she called the ambulance and they came and got me. And when they took me to the ambulance, they told the doctors, they was like, hey, man, look, this guy already told us that y'all haven't really did anything for him and y'all need to do something for him. And they thought it was something on the lines of MS. And when they sent me to the hospital, you know what I'm saying, I ended up finding out that it wasn't MS, it was neurosarcoidosis. So I probably was paralyzed for about three weeks until I learned how to walk and, and stood on my own and everything. The first time I actually stood on my own was the game the LSU played Mississippi State in 2014 when Dak Prescott scored that long mm -hmm. run. I yeah. stood on my own for the first time. Then that was my first time standing up on my own, and I eventually got back to walking. So I still deal with it now, you know what I'm saying? I still deal with it now. My legs hurt all the time, you know what I'm saying? After every game, mm. you know what I'm saying? I, I, I deal with it the next morning, you know. 
I chill out all the time, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, you can even feel it on my on my body. Like, if you were to touch my hips, you can feel where my hips are cold. And that's because my ain't no nerves really working in that area. Like, like the whole rest of my body could be warm, but you can touch my hip and feel like we're around my hip section where my body is cold. And that's because, like, that whole area ain't really got no, you know what I'm saying, nothing really going on. Wow, man. And fight it through and overcome it, man. And it's been cool to watch. Uh, what you've done with without that side of the story, but with that side of the story, man, a uh, tip of the cap to you. And it's uh, keep doing your thing, man. We appreciate you joining the podcast. We appreciate how you've been so good to our show, man. You, you've helped us in a lot of ways and it's not lost on me. So I appreciate you. Oh, yeah, man. I appreciate y'all too, man. I try to retweet you know what I'm saying? Tag, uh, retweet y'all all the time. Anytime something going on with a player from picking you, and I try to make sure I always tag y'all. And you do that, man. We appreciate it. Continued success. Oh, yeah, man. Same to y'all, man. Y'all have a good one. You too, sir. Dungan Engineering is a proud sponsor of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast and the Talking Ball Y'all media group providing live coverage. Dungan Engineering provides service, strength, and solutions. Dungan Engineering has an incredibly talented and experienced staff that consistently seeks new ways to provide the services we provide to our clients. Our strength in part is rooted in our ability to provide superior engineering solutions, utilizing the latest technology available with the simple mission of improving the quality of life in the communities we serve. We're now excited to be joined by TJ Wary on the podcast. And I'll let TJ in just a moment kind of uh, give his reason for being on today's show. But TJ, thanks for taking time for the podcast. Thanks for having me. TJ, let's get into it, man. Exciting uh, new platform for high school football in the state. I'll ask you to kind of give our listeners what you just did me, a little Cliff Notes version uh, of what you'll be providing on Friday night, and then we'll dive deeper in. For sure. So I'm working with Mississippi Scoreboards High School Sports website, um, and we're going to be launching Mississippi Scoreboard Friday Night Live this Friday night at 8 o'clock on their YouTube page. And basically... It's a live cut-in show of high school football games across the state. A lot of schools have free streams of their games, and we've been given permission from these schools to use their streams for our show. So the goal is to show as many touchdowns and big plays and big moments as possible, and we're going to do, do it throughout the duration of the regular season. I don't know how many of you have heard of the NFL Red Zone channel, but that's basically what we're trying to copy. Just go from game to game and just – show as many big plays and big moments as I just mentioned as possible on a Friday night. So TJ, inside of that, you mentioned the Red Zone uh, channel. How much have you studied, studied kind of uh, Scott Hansen and his ability to pull some of this stuff off, man? Now, I'm a big Red Zone fan. I don't have the channel anymore, but when I did, uh, you know, I, I admired how he's able to bounce around, his excitement, his energy. Um, and I'm an excitable and energetic kind of guy. Um, I've been out of TV for a few years, but the one thing I enjoyed the most was just anchoring, being on the desk and having those moments so you really show your personality and just show how much you love the game. And I mean, I love football. I love sports. I love high school football in Mississippi. I know there are a lot of people out there who have the same energy and excitement about it as I do and probably more than I do. 
So I'm going to try and translate that onto the show, and hopefully we can get some big moments and some where we just kind of go from one game and something happens, you go another game and something happens, um, and really just showcase high school football in a different way. You mentioned, TJ, your background in TV. Kind of give our listeners, obviously you have a passion for football in our state, kind of give our listeners uh, that maybe aren't familiar um, with your past area of coverage from the top to the bottom of the state, a look into your experience in high school football in our state. Yeah, I got to WJTV in Jackson, it's a CBS affiliate in 2010, and I worked there for eight and a half years, got out of TV in February of 2019. Um, so, I mean, we're covering basically everything. Um, covered a lot of high school football, covered state championships. Um, and then I still on the side, I do sideline for the state championship games. Um, so I mean, I've got a pretty good knowledge of from top to bottom, you know, from the top of the state to the bottom of the state of, you know, the high school football programs, the players, you cover recruiting and you follow those guys from high school to college and some of them onto the pros. Um, so that's what excites me the most. And that's what I like about Mississippi. You know, everybody kind of has an idea of where all these schools are. So it's not like anything is too foreign. Everybody knows who the big programs are, um, who, who the, who the more traditional powers are in the state of Mississippi. So we're, we're going to show this obviously, but hopefully we'll show some other schools as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I'm excited to, to be a part of it again and to be a part of this tradition. TJ, the, the location or where will you be um, hosting the show? We are the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame in Jackson has been gracious enough to open their doors to give us a kind of a cool backdrop. So we will be broadcasting the show live from there. That's a pretty cool background. When I saw the, the clip or I guess the video commercial for yeah. it, that immediately to me gave it some legitimacy, one, and then two, what a cool spot for you to be surrounded by all that history, uh, showing history in the making. Yeah, you know, I, I like the way you put that. It, it, and I kind of mentioned it, we did a test run last Friday just to make, every, make sure everything worked and just to see how we can optimize the process. Um, it was just really cool to be in there, man. That that place is super cool. You're standing along there, and they've got all this stuff in the glass behind you, and just all the history from all of these great programs in the state, and the people have gone on to do big things. And it's just, it's an awesome spot to host a show like this and make a little history at the same time. And hopefully, this is something we can do for for years on end. Really cool. Remind our our listeners, TJ, how to find the program, and then uh, I know you said on YouTube what what hours. Like when will you go live, TJ? All right. So this Friday we're going live at eight o'clock. We've got the MHSA. I believe they're still doing the seven thirty kickoff this That's Friday. Right. So this will give us kind of a, a buffer between uh, the end of the first half of the MAIS games and kind of like. So the first half have been in those games, and then we'll catch the second quarter of the MHSA games, and it'll kind of just give us a continuous stream of games this week, or flow of action. Um, so Mississippi Scoreboard has a Facebook page. Uh, you can find, we're going to share the link there on Friday, and also Mississippi Scoreboard. The link is up right now on YouTube. If you search Mississippi Scoreboard on YouTube, you go to their page, and the link is up with an event countdown ready for 8 o'clock on Friday. Um, so those are the ways you can find it. Then you can find me on Twitter. I'll share the link. It's TJ underscore XTV. 
Um, and I'm going to share the link as well. So there'll be plenty of different ways to find it, but mainly YouTube, Mississippi scoreboard, it should show up for you. Cool stuff, man. Just another way to highlight uh, the sport in our state and, I'm glad to see it off the ground in our podcast. We try to shine light on any way that the student athletes are getting uh, good coverage. And this certainly sounds like an avenue to, to do that. Yeah, I'm, like I said, I'm super excited to do this. I think this is going to be really awesome. Um, hope everything holds up technology-wise. You never know with streams and stuff <laughs> like that, how things get a little swirly. But um, we've got a plan, and we're uh, we're excited to – this sucker on friday night awesome man well thank you for your time we'd love to have you on in a few weeks once it's off the ground and you can kind of uh, see how the process has played out with live bullets so to speak and yeah, so right. <laughs> in a few weeks man if you don't mind we'd love to lend your ear and kind of talk more about uh, the journalist size like the background and like how it's uh, working and then also some of the games that uh, you've been able to speak to on this platform so if you would we'll have you back on and in a few weeks here more than glad to do that for you thank you tj it feels good to buy local whether you're supporting your community's small businesses family-owned restaurants or farm bureau insurance the local agents at farm bureau insurance are dedicated to always helping you protect what's important farm bureau insurance is headquartered right here in mississippi with local agents in your community if you're shopping for car, home, or life insurance in the Popleville area, call Kate Amaker at 601-795-4585. Or if you're in the Picayune Carrier area, call Robert Hester, Lane Kazan, or me, Ross Gilbo, at 601-798-2861. And go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau Casualty, Southern Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company, Jackson, Mississippi. Since 2017, Cruz Law Firm has provided a variety of legal services to their clients in South Mississippi. Their team will work hard for you to get the results that you need. You'll always be given the utmost respect and your case will be treated with the priority that it deserves. Cruz Law Firm works with the security title and is a member of the American Land Title Association. They have two locations to serve you at 1016 6th Avenue in Picayune and 300 Highway 11 Suite 4 in Poplarville, or you can give them a call at 769-242-2500. Hope you've enjoyed hearing from those uh, four guys and those four interviews leading up to this roundtable discussion. I'm Clay Sweet, of course, the voice of the Picayune Maroon Tide with the Talking Ball Y'all Media Group. And to my right, my color analyst for Picayune Football Ricky Whitaker to his right, David Burnett. David, of course, co-hosts the Picune podcast, uh, the preview show, and also the post-game show. To his right is going to be Jason Baker, the voice of the Popperville Hornets for our Talking Ball Y'all Media Group. Uh, on the switches tonight, Jeff Lysett over there playing with our sound for this round table. And so we may get some of him in the background as he is the play-by-play -play voice for the Pearl River Central Blue Devils. We've set this up. We're all live in person. We kind of wanted to give a lay of the land of where each of our team is going into uh, one more game left before district play, before 
Uh, Popperville enters district play in 4A, but Picayune Maroon Tide and Pearl River Central about to get into district play on the 5A level. So we thought it would be a pretty good time to all get together and discuss our high school football teams. So let's start. We'll start with um, Popperville. We'll start up north and then work ourselves uh, south. Popperville, JB, off to a tremendous start once again. Um, outscoring their opponents when I was looking earlier almost at a 5-1 to one clip has been incredible. Let's kind of speak to the start that the Hornets have had, what they have coming this week, and then we'll look into district play. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, they've been battle-tested. I think uh, the the picking matchup in week one was, you know, a great kind of bar setter, if you will, sort of learn about yourself, make some adjustments over the next couple weeks. And then I thought uh, Friday night on the road at Terry against a 6A opponent, you make a statement win like that, 48-6, to kind of lets you know where this team's at. And, you know, they're implementing a new offensive scheme, so I think – there's been a bit of a learning curve maybe from the coaching staff, from the players as well as sort of the adjustments. And so, yeah, so you enter this last week a non-conference play, feeling pretty good about yourself. Uh, they've been relatively healthy. They're going to be without a couple of guys Friday night, um, That, by my understanding, a couple of starters. And so um, they'll get sort of adjusted and acclimated to some new faces in there. And then it's time to get set and ready for district play and what ought to be a great – you know, district run throughout October. When you look at Popperville, open up with just seven points against an incredible Picune defense, but have gone 45, 48, and 48 in the last three ball games. When you look at points totals, Jarvis and Travis, the backs in this new offense, certainly getting it done. They are. And, you know, it's unique, Clay, because I think now what you're seeing is the offense develop to a sense that – they understand their roles, and they understand, hey, we got to get these guys equal amount of carries. They're really trying to put, like, a balance on it as far as Yvonne and as far as Maurice is concerned. And then with Matt Will as well, allowing him to be um, another running force. And that was something, you know, as the wing tee over the years, we used to clamor a lot throughout broadcast for the, for the naked boot, right, for the bootleg from the quarterback and thought it would be a highly – effective play but there was a lot that had to go into that such as the quarterback turning his back a lot to the defense to get out there and to boot around and he's booting so much deeper than what he needs to be and so by changing this offensive scheme what it's done is it's allowed Matt Will to really become another runner that you got to account for and I think that in itself has opened up a lot of lanes for Avon Jarvis and for Maurice Travis and you know I think they're starting to see the dividends pay because now on tape, as teams begin to break this film down, you've got Avon and Maurice practically with the same number of carries, almost identical. And analytically, they're matching this. They are The Hornets are very cognizant of who's got what carries and how many carries they're getting, and that's by design. That way there's not one guy, one feature back. You can, you can key in Avon if you want to, but Maurice Travis can hurt you like he did. He went the first play from scrimmage from 82 yards against Terry the other night. I'll turn this question to Slick because he got to see that uh, Popperville defense and firsthand and the color analyst for the Picune popperville game, that uh, tough opener. That was a defense by Coach Acock and that defensive staff that was able to shut Picune out 
in the second half. I'll get you to kind of speak to your thoughts and how tough you thought it was for Picune to move the ball against Popperville, particularly in that second half. I thought it was a, a very good challenge for, for Picune. And, and, you know, looking at Popperville, we, we've talked a little bit about this. Um, this team, you know, up front, I mean, you've got big Tucker Smith, and he's just a handful to deal with. Um, you've got the, the Will brother that's back at linebacker. I thought that overall, man, Popperville tackled very well, uh, really made it tough on Picayune to move the football. And, you know, when you look at um, what they can do in their, in their district play, I mean, I know we've, you know, we've seen a lot of good defenses through the years with Popperville, but this one's got to be right up there. Um, I mean, they, these guys looked really, really solid. Yeah, and since that touchdown against Picayune, they went 12 straight quarters without giving up another touchdown. That wasn't until they gave up a turnover the other night against Terry before they gave up another touchdown on a, about a 27-yard field. So, in matter of fact, they had it happen again. They had a turnover on downs, set up a short field for Terry the other night, and, and stood. The defense only allowed that one score. So, yeah, Rick, uh, you know, they, the potential to be as good as – any unit that, that we've seen over the last couple of years is is certainly there. David, you were there. You were in attendance for that first ball game. I'll get your thoughts on the facilities upgrade, the new turf there at Popperville. I'm not I think you had seen the scoreboard at least online or in person, but uh the brick columns, the the wrought iron around, it's just it's becoming what has always been, I think, to Jason and I, a really special place, even before the facilities upgrade, when those Hornets come down that hill, kind of meet right there and gather halfway down before they fill that bowl. That's a special place to be on Friday nights. And now the facilities kind of match the way the community has supported this program under Coach Beach. Your thoughts on, on watching a game there in Popperville? I mean, it was great. I mean, uh, having a – Huge scoreboard. I mean, uh, I mean, jumbotron basically in a high school stadium is pretty sweet, and it's a testament to the fans. I mean, the fans have supported that team. I mean, JB just turned the program around, but the fans have been there. They 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 come in groves. I mean, they are just they are everywhere, and they're still not done. I mean, they still have some work to be done yeah, there. Right. They we had to walk around certain areas. They got roped off, so. Um, and I, I think they're turfing the baseball field. They were still working on the baseball field, and I think the softball field yep. too. So it's just a uh, – you love seeing schools put the money back into the programs, and especially one like Popperville that is I – mean, they're supported. Like the the community is behind them, and you that's what small-town Mississippi football is all about. If you go to Popperville on a Friday night, you all have got to experience – we only get to experience it every now and then when Picayune goes and plays there, and it's always a great atmosphere. But Jason and Clay and, and Jeff, y'all followed that team for so long. It's just – it's got to be way specialer – specialer to uh, – I don't think Clay got that. <laughs> yeah, Tommy Tusi, I love that reference. <laughs> it's got to it's gotta be really, really special for you guys to get to see that every Friday. Yeah, it's really cool. And, JB, let's look at on the field in district play. We talk about facilities and we talk about this district. You've got to go right to Columbia. Columbia, the defending 4A state champ, of course, just moved into that district a year ago. This is just a natural 
rivalry. Uh, not a lot of history in recent years there. They used to be district mates, so there's some history uh, kind of in the past there. But there was plenty of history made just a year ago. What do you expect in district play? But let's camp out and start with Columbia. Well, I think, you know, obviously you start there because they're the reigning 4A champs, and they'll be that until – Somebody claims that title away from them or they repeat this December. Um, and, yeah, you know, you play a team twice within the same uh, calendar season, if you will, like what occurred last year, and you know how special it can be. I mean, heck, we referenced back to East Central and playing them in two straight Hornet Bowls, and you had to wait until a South State Championship to get that opportunity to play Columbia last year in a regular season, get manhandled the way the Hornets really did in that game and sort of kind of not play within themselves, not be the Poplarville Hornets that we were used to. And then you fast forward to that last Friday in November last year and the way the game played itself out. I mean, we nailed it on the pregame show in talking. It was going to be low-scoring physical defense. It's how the Hornets had to win, and they were literally inches away from pulling it off. Um, so, yeah, so you start there with Columbia because you suspect – you know, they'll be that. But I'm going to tell you, there's a team right now in that district that has jumped off the radar in Lawrence County. They're 4-0 and with wins over Brookhaven, Taylorsville, uh, as well as they've got one more really good one um, as well, Lawrence County does. They played Natchez and put up a 40 spot against Natchez as well. They also have a win over Lumberton. They're a team last year, if you remember, when we went over there, Boy, they looked the part. They had as good of a running back as anybody that we faced all year. And so they're sitting 4-0. Columbia is sitting 4-0. You have every team almost in the district besides Sumrall that is sitting at 3-1 and right now. So it may go through Columbia, sure, but I think there's some other teams within that district at the moment that, that would like a word at least. Yeah, and you look at it, uh, JB, that's a Sumrall team that just a week ago was able to take care of Pearl River Central at home. Coach Dolan, one of the better coaches, yep. uh, comes back into that district. He's got a state title, um, to his credit, back at Forest County. So when you kind of look at it with the week still left to play, this is going to be one of the battle-tested better uh, districts in all of 4A football. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it. Every team has a record of 3-1 and one except for Lawrence County and Columbia. They're 4-0. and oh. As they sit now, they've got another week of non-conference play to go within that district. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, at, at least from their schedule that they've been dealt, so far the teams of that district have handled their non-conference schedule well. Now, you never know with strength of schedule and such, but, hey, it's the cards that you were dealt. You never know what a team looks like from one year to the next. They can't they can't control what team is, is on the up and up and what team's down, right? So you just got to play them as, as they're laid out in front of you and – Right now, District 7-4A looks like they're, they're taking care of their business at this point. I'll ask you one more on the 4A level, uh, Bake, and then we'll drag you into the uh, Picune and 5A and Pearl River Central 5A discussion here in just moments. But the expectation for Popperville football is state championship or bust. That's what Coach Beach, that's what that staff, what the players – have built, which that which is a total mouthful, right? This is a program back in 2010 that went over, didn't have a win. And so here we are in 2022 talking about these crazy expectations, and uh, rightfully so. They've been in that game four of the last six years, as you mentioned just moments ago, were just inches from playing in it. 
um, last year, and then I think they go on and win that game. I, I was on the sidelines to see Columbia win a very close game against Senatobia and well-deserved uh, to Columbia. Uh, hats off to them, but I believe Popperville wins on that uh, Saturday as well. All I'm babbling about is, JB, the expectation's still the same with this crew. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's not going to get lowered, right? Like, I don't think they – the way they work, the way they've invested – the culture and the mindset that they've developed within those kids, I don't think is ever going to change, not at least underneath Jay Beach's watch in the administration that supports that program from that high school standpoint. So, yeah, they, you know, it is. It's state championship or bust. Look, you know, you go to four of those and not cash in, you, it probably makes you as hungry for anything out there because the defeats and the losses and the and as close as they've came, still resonate. I mean, if you, I know you, a guy with you with such a, a, a picture type memory that you have, you can close your eyes and take yourself back to any one of the games that we played in a state championship environment and practically replay that game play after play after play. And so that is still resonated. Um, I, you know, I think it's teams that, uh, in terms of the Hornets, that understand. Look, as good as we've been, we've not technically won anything. And that's still mentioned. That's still brought up. And I would say they've caught a year where they've got some really, really heavy senior leadership that is very, very cognizant of that fact. Matt Will, Mark Will, Tucker Smith, kids like that, Nikhil Trotter, Tank Trotter. Those kids don't forget we've not, we've not cashed in for a ring yet. Yeah, we've played for them for God knows how many years, but at the fact of it is, we still don't have a trophy inside that that field house that says we were the class for a state championships. And I would think, Clay, until that point occurs, sure, it's it's state championship or bust. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of football left to be played to get to that point. And nobody's just going to open up the gate and let you through. You got to knock that joker down. You mentioned a guy. I said one more question. I lied. Tank Trotter. You mentioned him in your answer there, and it uh, sparked a question I wanted to ask earlier about uh, this Coach Acock uh, defense. When I went to Rick, I want to ask you his change. He was a defensive end. He was the bookend to Khalid Moore uh, last year. I get goose pimples saying, "Oh, Khalid Moore coming off that edge. Such a good player." And, of course, he's up at Mississippi State now. But he was a bookend and got tested a lot and passed, A-plus pass test uh, last year. I saw he had an interception earlier in the year. He's a guy that's now playing linebacker. His position change and the way that he's adjusted uh, to that, how do you think that's worked out for Popperville so far, Bay? Tremendously because here's the facts. Tank Trotter scored three defensive touchdowns last year as a defensive end, and he played out of position all year. His natural position is linebacker. That's where he'll play in college. It's where he's being recruited. He's been offered by Pro River Community College to come be a linebacker. He was playing out of position because they had a player depart from two years ago that sort of opened up a vacancy opposite of Khalid. And if you had a weekend that teams could kind of schematically get away from Khalid from. It was going to cause a lot of problems. Khalid would have to chase everything down from the backside. So really, like and we said this so many times last year, Clay, Tank Trotter was probably last year's team's MVP. Now, I know Khalid's numbers 
in the freakish things that we watch Khalid Moore do. But but truly, if you understand schematics in football, if you've got one really good rush in, but you have no one on the other side, they can formation you enough to say, hey, we're going away from you 80 90% of the time. Well, what teams begin to figure out was going that way at a tank trotter was a problem, and, and not just a problem. He was a playmaking problem that scored 21 points. And then now what you're watching, Clay, is he's at his more natural position. Look, he's won our Pete Plumman pipe-busting hit of the week three consecutive weeks to start the season. He intercepted the first pass of the Lumberton game on the first play and took it in from about 37 yards out for a score. He has scored another defensive <laughs> touchdown in the green and gold. Oh, I mean, man. for defensive players, look, two guys in here, Ricky and I played linebacker side-by-side side with each other in the Picking Maroon Tide uniform. We would have dreamed for those kind of moments. And as defensive players, you just want your hands on the ball. And he's done it and put up points I mean, what? What's that? Twenty-four points yeah. in his Hornet yeah. career from defensive sure touchdowns has. without the extra points. Like, yeah, he's he's thriving in it. And Jacob Acock's scheme, a lot more complex. There's a lot of zone system to it. There's a lot of you know rush from one side, blitz and bring pressure, drop, put people in space to where you think, oh, this guy's coming. He's not. So there's a lot of to it to it from that sense. And Tank Trotter's got the mind for it, and he's able to understand the scheme and to get himself out into space and to make some plays. And, yeah, he's continued to do so. I think it's going to benefit Tank maybe not even just this year. Like, he's having a great year, don't get me wrong. But when he gets to college, whoever gets to coach that kid is going to be so thankful that Jacob Acock was able to move Tank Trotter back. And it should be noted, Aiden Dito returned to the Hornets and really gave this Hornet defense a boost to allow Tank to go play in the middle and play the Mike Backer and play his natural position. And it's going to benefit Tank going forward. Awesome stuff, man. Popperville can't ask for better coverage than that man uh, right there, Jason Baker and his crew, Rossi Krill and Zach Barrett, uh, Rossi at the color commentary role, and then Zach Barrett down on the sidelines. We appreciate everything that they do for Talking Ball uh, Media. When you go into that MixLR app, you search Talking Ball, y'all, all one word, um, and you can find their broadcast each and every Friday night for Popperville football. When we look at the 5A level of football and we see uh, Picayune and um, – PRC in that same district, of course, a county rivalry, and then you will get that game right off the bat here to get started. So Picayune will come into that game 4-0. and Pearl River Central will come in 0-4. The game will be hosted there in Carrier. Let's start with the Picayune start, that 4-0 and start, and really have played dominant football. I think um, when you look at it, maybe can arguments can be made. Um, but, David, I'll ask you this. I think you stated it on one of the podcasts. As a Picune fan, I don't know that you've ever really felt threatened in any of these four ball games. No, you haven't, uh, Clay. I mean, I think probably maybe Popperville, I would say, would have been the one team that you kind of felt like maybe they could come back. But as that second half kind of got going, you you didn't feel like they were probably going to do too much more than what they were able to do. And, I mean, the, the scores don't indicate that, Clay. If you looked at the scores, you were saying 21-7 over Popperville, 28-7 over J.D. 
Jeff Davis, 21-7 over Gulfport. And then Diabville was a runaway. It was 35 to nothing. They got the hot clock. Could have been way worse. Started putting subs in and ended up being 35-7. So if you look at the scores, you would think, well, they've been in some tight games. But if you've watched the games and been there the whole time, you would have been like, you just you you never felt like oh wow we're we may not win this one. Yeah, and I would think what he's speaking to slick in the way that I frame the question is is because this Picune defense is so stout that if you're up seven you feel like you're up twenty one. They have that type of presence on opponents to where they can just really overwhelm a team. I mean, there's been times, you know, the only way you're going to get better at what me and you do and, and what these guys around us do is go back and listen to yourself. That sounds narcissistic, and I guess it kind of is. But in our calls, if people put back-to-back first downs together, I, I caught myself last week, the Iverville gets, I believe, 17 yards offensively, and I called the Picune defense a bend, but do not break. I mean, that's the kind of defense we've seen from Picune. You played a linebacker in this Picune defense years ago. I'm going to ask it this way. Have you ever seen anything like this defensively through four ball games? No, I mean, it, it's hard to compare it to anything. And, and when you look back at what we've seen, Clay, I mean, just going into this Iverville game, we had one of our defensive ends who was sitting through three games. If you look at the state records through three games in tackles, he was sitting at number six. Everyone above him is a linebacker, and he was sitting at tied for number two in tackles for loss. Only one better than him was his teammate, Amarion Tyson, at linebacker. You're talking about 40-plus tackles through three games. That's unheard of, Clay, for a defensive end. And we're not talking about a hybrid in a scheme where – well, he says defensive end, but he's really an outside linebacker. No, he's a true defensive end. The game speed at which they play with is something that I haven't seen before. It's so fast um, compared to what we've seen in, in the past, and it's just hard to scheme against because if you if you pick your poison, there really is no poison to pick because one another guy will get you. And, you know, we talked about Tyson. We talk about Wilder a lot. Those names, if you've listened to our, our broadcasts, those names come up a lot. They're just there first, but there's a stout group of defensive guys there. And really, you know, we camped out on this a lot last year as well. This secondary, man, is what's incredible. Uh, and these guys are all good hitters. They're good size. They can cover. Um, it's really just a complete package. Yeah, you look at Tyson. You mentioned him there for our nine uh, Picune followers. He's a guy that weighs in at 151. I believe he's five six on the roster. He now has 54 tackles through four ball games. Waller's measurables a bit better. A kid that's been offered by Ole Miss. He's a junior. He has 47 tackles on the year. Seven of those four losses. It it kind of sounds like home cooking. Me and you follow him every Friday night. I'll turn my attention now to Jason Baker and ask his perspective. He's seen him through one ball game. I think he's taken in uh, some replays of our broadcast, but your perspective, JB, we mentioned Khalid Moore. Uh, Waller built a bit different, but, boy, the ticker, the the motor inside these guys, not a whole lot different between uh, those two fellows. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you, offense and when you've got a, a back like what you two guys get to watch each and every Friday night, you three guys get to watch every Friday night at Dante Dowdell and Chris Davis – They'll get all the lights, and they get a lot of pub. And, of course, Dante's recruitment has certainly brought a lot of attention to this version of the Picky Maroon Tide team. When I took my headset off and I went home on the opening night of 
week number one. This is my takeaway. Jamonta Waller was the best football player on the field, period, that night. Offense, defense, whatever you want to say about it, he was the best, period. And matter of fact, I left there and thought to myself, the only reason he has not been offered a scholarship at that point is they must not be able to offer him to him yet because the scholarships are coming. He looked like a college football player. He played like a college football player. He was the best, and I thought Ricky makes a really, really good point that defense schematically in, in, in totality as a whole, as an entire unit, really top to bottom, impeccable. I mean, there's not a weak spot to me that I saw within that defense. And then I thought Tyson and Waller, their names are almost re- on repeat because they're the playmakers and they're there. But their teammates are complimentary and very, very sound in their scheme from Seth Hayden's defensive unit. And look, it's a lot of base. There's not a lot of smoke to it. It's a lot of lineup and, hey, let's just be who we are. And Jamonta Waller is good enough on play in, play out. He's better than anybody that they're going to block him, double team him with. And if you do choose to double team and not extend at a second level, Marion Tyson will shoot a gap. I was talking about Amarion Tyson this morning to offensive coordinator Chris DeWeese with Popperville High School about him shooting those gaps and the way in which he chose that gap. And he was reading the center, and it was just incredible the way that he knifed back there for all those tackle for losses. And Chris DeWeese said, yeah, if we if we played him tomorrow, we would have it blocked differently because of him and, the, and his speed. And so, yeah, like, you know, those two guys, that, that, and that's no knock on Dante Dowdell. He is a Division I running back. He is the deal. So is Chris Davis, by the way. But I, when I left there that night, and of course, I'm a defensive guy, Jamonta Waller hit me that way. He was the best football player, bar none, on that field. And I really thought he played such a critical role for Amarion to affect the game that night in, in the way. Jamonta set edge, and he got upfield and really attacked the point where the Hornets wanted to try to turn the corner and set edge as well themselves or kick out. They just couldn't kick him out. And so, yeah, man, like uh, they've been as advertised for sure, Clay. When you look at it, uh, JB, I'll ask you one more, and then we'll slide the headset on Jeff to get a a Pearl River uh, Central take on some of this. When you look at it, I, I have flashbacks of seeing Fryfogel make catch after catch uh, years and years ago. Well, the, Mr. Fryfogel was a handful, but now you have a Ratcliffe out there at 6'2", 178, who came up and smashed a kid uh, last week. Super physical. It's John Feaster's nephew. And wow. he is a machine. And then you have Enough Chris said, right? Davis. Yeah, yeah, that, that pretty much does it all right there. So then you have Chris Davis at the other corner. I mean, they, the complimentary players, this is hard to say, but they're all D1 guys. Well, it's unreal. In, in the pass rush, Clay probably is aiding to some of that secondary success. But here's the deal. As a quarterback now and so much in the shotgun – they have a view of the field faster than anyone, right? So they're standing back there looking, looking at the open field from the quarterback position. And a lot of the times in high school, you're just not seeing the disguise of coverages. So that quarterback has a pretty good idea. Are they in cover three? Are they in a single high safety look? Are they going to play man? Are they going too high? So he's got this idea and concept of where those defenders are to be. And the thing about it is if you've got good enough athletes – 
You can let him know where you're going to be, and he can know where they're going to be, and that still doesn't equate to success. And I think the thing about it, what I saw that night from the Picayune, from watching Picayune, if you hesitate for one second, then you've got these dudes coming at you and Tyson and Waller and the others along that defensive line that are going to put pressure. And then that's where big plays occur. That's where fumbles occur. That's where big-time sacks occur. And, yeah, as a secondary, when you know you got dudes like that, man, you can turn your hips and run with those guys and just trust that your front seven can do the job and, and you don't have to do too much. And so, yeah, they, they've got a real good mix going on right now within that Picayune defense, I would say. Be, because of Waller, such a playmaker, and because of Tyson, really such a playmaker. He, I mean, look, it, I'm, not gonna comp, I'm not comparing him to this guy, but this is who he, he reminds you of is Sam Mills. I mean, Sam Mills was undersized. Sam Mills is one of the fastest reading linebackers that any of us that ever followed the New Orleans Saints can remember. And they said his intellectual ability to read that play and to see the play, and then it's another thing, too, to be undersized and go make that play, right? And from what I can tell, Amarion Tyson didn't miss many tackles that night. And from the numbers you just read a minute ago, Clay, he's not missed many through y'all's four games. And you combine all those factors, that secondary – yeah, it's uh, it's got the makings of a special little run. And for you know, the he's a tie. he's a junior Baker. Um, Tyson's yeah. a junior. Um, I don't know if he's going to grow four inches and forty pounds his senior year, but my goodness, I hope somewhere on somebody's team there's going to be a spot for him because all he's done is take just what the good Lord's given him and use it to the best of his ability. What an example for all of us to follow. Yeah, I'm watching a guy at Southern Miss right now that had a, a just an incredible career at Pearl High School, a kid named Tylen Knight, who basically had to go all the way through, Ricky, all these all-star games and success. We watched him, the three of us watched him in Starkville, Mississippi, stop a guy time after time after time for Clinton High School, who just so happens to be a Super Bowl champ for the Rams right now in Cam Akers, and Tylen Knight kept hitting him and hitting him and hitting him. And the only knock you had to Tylen Knight was his size. And he went all the way through these All-Star games. And in the Mississippi-Alabama All-Star game, Tyler Knight was the best player on the field, and he got an offer to Ole Miss. He's now transferred through the transfer portal and the one-time transfer rule. He now plays for Will Hall in the black and gold. And, and there's stories like that all across college football. And I think it's hard and it's difficult because these colleges look and they see, you know, Tyler Knight plays nickel back. The corner to his outside is an NFL guy who's – a corner at 6'2", 220 right now for Southern Miss. He's got NFL scouts drooling over him and Eric Scott Jr. So, you know, these, these coaches say, well, I, got him to look, I need him to look like Eric Scott Jr. But then you have to remind them, well, Tylen doesn't, and he makes plays, right? And it only takes one. That's all it takes is one college coach to come down there and find a Marion. And look, you keep making tackles like that, you keep putting up numbers like that, and there's going to be a coach – at what level, I don't know, but there'll be one. They can find you, and if you're good enough, and what I believe he is good enough, if you're good enough, they they know what to do with you, and there'll be a coach that'll say, you know what, I'm going to take a flyer on a kid like this. And my experience on kids like that, they don't often fail you. You take those flyers, and uh, look, they can they can make it happen. Tyler Knight scored a, a touchdown in the Sugar Bowl for Ole Miss. I mean, he's that kind of kid. Like, you know, they, they, they play with such a chip on their shoulder. They're so motivated, and I would imagine a Marion Tyson. I'd have never met a Marion Tyson in, in this lifetime, but I would love to because I know what kind of player he is, 
in the way that he's carrying that with him. And and you're right, Rick. He may. Who knows though? You never know. He may great. He may get the four inches and forty pounds. And if so, he'll Mars. They'll be beating down the door mm. to come get him at that point. Isn't that the truth, JB? We're gonna get you to slide the headset over to Jeff Lossett. I'll direct a question to you, David. While they're making. Um, that exchange, you got a chance to cover this team all season long with a post-game podcast. Your assessment of it compared four games in uh, this year to four years, I mean four games in a year ago. At last year at this point was just coming off of uh, the, the Iverville loss and have not lost since. Yeah, last year it, we, me and Slick really didn't know what to expect. I don't think anyone knew what to expect with Picayune. You, you win your first three, and you're like, okay, well, how good are we? And then you slip up and you lose against Diabville and don't take none against Diabville. Diabville last year was a really good team. They they had a lot of seniors on that squad. So through four games last year, we didn't know. Like, you had no idea. It was still so many things that you were uncertain about. A lot of these kids that we're just talking about were playing last year, Clay, but they were sophomores. I mean – Coach Stogner and Coach Hayden asked so much for no sophomores last year, and it paid off last year. And boy, the, this year is—I mean, I mean, it's like uh, the best stock you can buy, man. They're just paying out, paying out, paying out because they are so much better. They're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. And you brought up the speed of that defense is just unbelievable. I want to get that in. Like, if you haven't watched that defense move to the ball. Um, unbelievable. But this year, you know, coming back as a reigning champs, you had that uh, target on your back. So this year you kind of – I mean, we all knew – we talked about it. We knew we were going to be pretty good. Now, repeating's another thing. So, we, you know, still got a long way to go. Got um, regions starting this week. So we'll, we'll know more about how that's going to play out and what the other teams are going to do in the other parts of the state. But this year, I mean, it's it's – uh, state championship or bust? Uh, Slick, I'll turn this question, and it has something to do with David's answer there when you can kind of compare the two teams, and then we'll look around uh, the district and the Pearl River Central. Um, offensively, that's really where the question marks were. If you were going to find question marks, they stood on the offensive side. You had to replace a center. The center's now over at Mississippi Gulf Coast. That's uh, Mr. Pascal. Then you had to replace the quarterback. That was Underwood. You had to replace a tackle, and his name escapes me. Y'all can help me out with the tackle that had to replace Evans. Okay, and so you bring in uh, Donnell Lewis for one tackle. You bring in Brennan uh, Williams for the center, and then Brady Robertson there at the quarterback. Those are three big pieces. How would you assess the way those three youngsters have played? I think that probably earlier in the season this year than last year, we feel a little more settled with with our offensive linemen and the changes that are that are there. Um, I think we were we were pretty far in, right, Dave? I mean, last year when you you think about it, really knowing what this offensive line was going to do, um, we knew that we knew they were going to be undersized. But I think that we've really we, we've taken some lumps a little bit, but I, I think we feel pretty good right now. Um, you know, and really. The, the big guy to replace, man, really two spots, man, was going to be Noah Carter on that offensive line. I mean, he was a kid who graded out 
uh, and, and, and Baker knows this as well as anyone, if you grade out as the best lineman on Coach Edwards' list, that's a mouthful in itself. And, and he did that consistently uh, in, in what was a pretty good offensive line last year. So you had him, you had tight end production that, that needed to be replaced as well. So I think we've answered a lot of those questions. And a guy that we haven't talked about, Clay, on that offense that – is another kid who really he showed up some last week and and he made a name for himself last year in George County when we asked him hey we need you to go run man for man with an SEC uh, caliber wide receiver and a marquee storage from uh, George County and that's that's Josiah Conti and uh, he's by far um, by all accounts I think he's the fastest kid on the team um, can play probably more offensive snaps than he does but. He's another one, man, that could step into that wingback role and fill that Noah Carter production. We've seen that with Darrell, uh, just another sophomore, right, that played a, a lot on this team as a freshman last year. So I think we've got a lot of those questions answered on that offensive line. Yeah, good point by you uh, bringing up Conti. Conti made the big catch before the half there in that Popperville game. If there was a game in balance or felt threatened, it was right before that catch. That was a really good football game until Conti kind of makes that back-breaking catch uh, before the half. Darrell Smith cannot get lost in a shuffle. He was our Farm Bureau uh, player of the game. Week two is just a sophomore Anywhere else in the state, and I think I'm okay in saying that, he has the pigskin a ton more. Picking's finding some creative ways to get it to him at the wingback uh, position. Uh, Ducree has played well. Two guys on the defensive side, and then we'll leave Picune along. Um, Warren has filled in and played well in the secondary. Um, and then also McGee, Demarius McGee has been able to check in and spots really uh, played some platoon back there and helped in the back end. Hickman has played well at linebacker, and I think we've named Jeff. You're you're doing PRC on Friday now. You're kind of looking at me like, dude, you've named 26 Picune players. It's been that kind of start. It really has been for them. We just want to honor what they've done. I want to honor what Popperville's done uh, to this spot on the other side Jeff it is there's no other way to cut it it's been a tough start for Pearl River Central an 0-4 start you go to Summerall um, last week as 0-3 0-3 start excuse me 0-3 start for Pearl River Central I forget they did they they start the week early with the Jamboree and then they bye week me and so they got me there Um, but let's kind of get your thoughts Jeff on what like I've said, I, I can put those words in your mouth. It's been a tough uh, start. Any bright spots uh, for Pearl River Central, and then we'll look around the district. Well, there are some bright spots, and, and I've told people after the three weeks, I mean, you know, the defense is not that bad. And you see the scores, and they're like, well, they got blown out week one. They got, you know, but the defense has been the primary stable of this of this ball club. I mean, you're starting a freshman quarterback, and we all know the woes of freshman quarterback, and he's played like a freshman at times. There's bright spots in him. He can make the throws. He can make, you know, the plays that he needs to make. Um, he, he, he gets a little happy feet sometimes and wants to do stuff uh, that's not there because, you know, that's just him trying to make a play. Uh, but there's there's bright spots in him. But the defense, I think, is 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 capable of holding this Pro Over Central Blue Devil football team. Uh, B.J. Bolello has moved in to the linebacker spot. They they've wanted some bigger guys on the interior, you know. So B.J. Bolello's moved in. Um, Mitchell, uh, what's his name? Let's see. 
Luke Mitchell has has been a tremendous you know player for the Blue Devils on that Casano or Casane. I'm sorry, I just corrected Clay earlier when we yeah, were yeah you out. were giving me that pronunciation. <laughs> you tried to throw me for a little loop to do before the ball game on Friday night. Ka- I see Casane has played. Excellent on the defense, uh, defensive side. And then uh, last week we sent Chapetta come back a little bit. They've been working him in. Uh, last last year he had some injuries come in, so they've been slowly working him back. So uh, Chapetta was good on on the backside, uh, safety wise, defensive back, uh, the portion of it. Uh, I, and I think offensively, what what's happened with the Blue Devils is if you look at it, and I mean if anybody's went back and listened to the broadcast, uh, it's you you've beat yourself at times on offense. Uh, four in a row Saturday, uh, Friday night, three false starts and one illegal procedure. I mean, boom, 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 back. I mean, it just it's coachable stuff. But the I mean, the players has got to pay attention and make the plays too. And that's all fixable in, in practice and stuff like that. But uh, it, it it's just you, you've you've been there. It's like a two step forward and a three step back at times with the offense as far as moving the ball down the field and score, you know, trying to get the defensive break, you know, and stay on the sideline. So everything, everything that I mentioned and, and people listen and people and the blue devil, the blue devil faithful, I mean, was in attendance like crazy at summer. All they're going to travel. They're going to support the team. You talked about Popperville earlier, you and Jason, we've all called Popperville about the fans going, it's the same way with Perfect Central. They're going to be there. They're going to support the team, but it's just, Everything I said is coachable and is fixable in practice and on film. It's just got to be implemented in the game. I mean, you can't have the crazy – even at Hancock, I mean, it was a blow – I mean, it was a, a, a zero on the board for the offense, but the defense kept them in the game, you know, the whole time. But then you go down there and you have a big play, Corday hit McCade Penton on a long touchdown. McCade, big, you know, tight end goes up and makes the catch, and then there's a holding call. Brings it back. Then there's false start. Brings it back. I mean, it's 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 mistakes like that that can't happen. Especially okay, you had your so-called preseason, and now you're starting district play with Picking coming in, and it's crazy plays like that. You can't have four false starts in a row with a, with a defense like Picking and, and and a defense like East Central, and then all these other ones coming up. That's going to be in your district. You, you almost have to be and you know play flawless and you know perfection is what everybody's looking for of course nobody's perfect uh, and that's just that's just unachievable but it, it's things like that it's mistakes like that that is is what is what has gotten the blue devils behind the eight ball so to speak jeff you mentioned your coverage and friday night coverage of pearl river uh, Central, just a way that you could speak to the, the fan base, which you kind of did there. And then the administrators taking a chance with our media group, allowing you and Caden to be there calling their games on Friday nights. And then the work you've put in, getting out, uh, calling some volleyball games, uh, getting yourself to those broadcasts. I think you've called already four or five volleyball games. But if you would, give the Blue Devil faithful the way to find your broadcast if they haven't already and kind of speak to the administrators. Yeah, and well, and I'll go straight to the administrator part. When I, I had a meeting with head coach Jacob Owen, the uh, assistant athletic director, I had a meeting with Coach Kane Stockstill, the athletic director, and I said, hey, look, talking ball, y'all, uh, we're in the process of getting Picayune. We've had Poplarville. We want y'all to give us a shot. We're not telling you, you know, turn away. We're not telling you to do anything, but give us a shot and let us come cover your kids too. And, and no coach is going to turn away exposure of their kids. I don't care if you're playing 
volleyball. Well, soccer. don't say no, coach. Any coach with sanity. <laughs> well, with us, with yeah. us, all five sitting in here on, on a broadcast. But oh, I mean, you, you exposure for your kids. That's what I, we're not listening to. Me. We all have full time jobs. We're not doing this for a living. We want to just. We want to to bring the bright spot to the program and the kids and get their name out, get their coverage out there where anybody can go back and listen. So I had them meetings, and I, I come out with a plan. I just said, hey, I'll give you – this is what I'm going to give you. This is what Talking Ball can do for Prover Central. And I have colored volleyball. We're going to do some baseball, basketball, you know, softball in the spring stuff with Prover Central. So – and it was, and then it, it just – you know, Popperville had the faith in me, you, and Jason – as far as taking us on as talking ball, y'all covering Popperville, Perver Central's doing the same thing. Picayune has actually extended their arm and doing the same thing with talking ball, y'all as well. So uh, the Blue Devil faithful, they I, I read you know every time you see the GoFan app on Facebook, that's where that's where you have to buy the tickets now uh, for Perver Central. You know all the sports is a GoFan. I come right on the top and I share it and I comment. If you can't make the game, look download and I emphasize the word free. MixLR app, you, you, you download the app. If you create an account, you get the access to all of the archived broadcast. That is the volleyball that I've already done so far, plus the football games. And it's simple. Uh, Clay had mentioned about the Popperville. It's talking ball, y'all, all lowercase, all one word. PRC is the same. Blue Devil, all lowercase, all one word. You type in Blue Devil, and it takes you straight to the page. And if you create an account, it gives you an alert that we go live or when we go live. And then, of course, like I said, you get the access uh, to all the archive uh, broadcasts. Perfect. There you go, Jeff. We appreciate you, brother, and all that you do for our group um, here. All right, guys, let's look at district play here in Region 4-5A. We've talked about Picune at great length. We've talked about Pearl River Central. Um Slick, let's start with you and give me your odds-on favorites for maybe a two, three, and a four seed. Putting you on a spot here, but kind of give me where you think these teams potentially uh, will lay out, and you can go for that one seed, too, if you'd like. I kind of think I know where you're going with that. But your four seeds potentially coming out of uh, this region. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the obvious choice, Clay. I mean, you got to start with it, as Baker did with, with 4A, You've got to start with the uh, defending champions, and that's that's Picayune with what they've got coming back, um, how they've looked so far this year. I think it's definitely um, theirs to lose uh, if they can play their style of football and and and, and continue to, to work like they're working. I think they'll be in really good shape. And then I think that two and three and four spot is really going to be – it was kind of wild, wild west last year uh, towards the end, and I think we'll see that again. And what I like to look at, Clay, is let's, let's start with common opponents. And, and you've got – you know, a, a team within Green County that Van Cleve beat 49 to 20. I mean, they walked the dog on, on Green County. That's the team that George County lost to. And then and you, all can, you also can look at Van Cleve and say, well, you know, they, they played in a Jamboree game against uh, Pascagoula. They lost that game. That's a team that Gaucher beat 47 to 6. So you look at those common opponents and it really kind of throws everything up in the air. And then I start with defense, too, because, you know, we know that defense wins football games and, and we were there. You, myself, and Baker last year when, when Popperville played an, an East Central team. And I talked to uh, Coach Seth Smith after the game, and he said, look, this is the junior class that I was waiting for at George County, I mean, at East Central, to coach. And those guys are all back. So you're going to see a really solid defensive team there. 
And I think Van Cleve's really been a kind of a, a surprise, right? When you lose a kid like Dayon Bilbo, the state's leading rusher. He was on ESPN for a top play of the week last year. And you've got a guy named uh, Oscar Hampton who also has left that team, uh, a really good baseball player with them that's uh, played in that secondary and linebacker some last year that's going to Mississippi State to play baseball. You lose all that, and this looked like a rebuild year for them. They've looked pretty good, Clay. So you've got you've got them in East Central that's going to run – Clock control, smash mouth football, and you've got Gaucher who's going to spread it around and throw it very well, uh, and you've got George County who's going to do the, the the same thing. And you know, I think that Deuce Knight's a kid that you know he played a lot as a freshman. We'll see him a lot. He's going to be a good quarterback. He looked good at the camp that we went to with that Wyatt Davis put on. He's a big kid. He's still growing. He's just a sophomore. But I don't think they really have the the weapons and, and been able to replenish what they lost last year on the offensive side of the football. Clay, I think you could possibly see George County on the outside looking in. And I think really, I'm not answering your question, but I think that Van Cleve, Gaucher, and, and, and probably uh, East Central, they could be at either those two, three, or four spots. It just depends on how it plays out. But it's going to come down to matchup. Because you can be a very, very good football team defensively and not match up with your secondary on good wide receivers. So I don't know yet if George County and, and Van Cleve is going to be able to match up with talent like Gaucher. So it's going to be interesting. And one thing about Gaucher, we talked a lot about them with their defense last year. Over the last two games, Clay, they've outscored opponents 89-20. to 20. They gave up six points against Pascagoula. They gave up only 14 against Moss Point. So they look to be a team who's improved defensively. So I think they could give a lot of teams fits. But, man, that 2-3-4 and four spot, it's going to be up for grabs. But, again, I think that George County, if they're not careful, just looking at the body work we've seen so far this year, and, again, I think Deuce Knight's going to be around for several years to come, there'll be a team to deal with. They could be the team, Clay, when this thing's all said and done, looking uh, looking in from the outside. That's interesting there. We'll turn to uh, David and Jeff. Any disagreement kind of in that mix and, and how y'all see it playing out? No, I think I think Slick hit it. The thing with George County that just throws me off is that Green County game. There's no shame in they lost to Gulfport 14-19. Then you get blown out by Ocean Springs, but Ocean Springs is top-notch, one of the better teams in 6A in the south. But that Green County team, that game, it, they only won one game and they beat George County. So they're 1-3, and, and you lose to them, and you're like, well. So I have a lot of questions about George County, but I don't know if Van Cleve can match up with – I mean, I know Deuce Knight. I don't know he's going to have – he don't have the athletes. I think George County's still going to squeak in there in that four spot. Yeah, and I, I don't have any really disagreements. We were talking about this off there before we started about the two, three, and four. But I just brought up a team in, who's had one of the best starts or the best start in school history, and that's West Harrison has come out on fire. And I know they've got East Central this week. And they're, they're, after this week, we'll know, you know what East Central's got. And I'm anxious to see what the game is this Friday. But I think some people around, you know, maybe Van Cleve and maybe George County – might be sleeping on East Central a little bit because that team's come a long way up as far as being the whooping stick in, in this district. And right now, of course, it's been the non-district or the preseason, so to speak, before district play, and they're sitting here undefeated. So, uh, I mean, I'm just anxious to see what they've looked like coming in to East Central going forward in district play. 
Yeah, you're speaking of Wes Harrison there. That's Coach Patrick. Coach Patrick, of course, uh, uh, spent some time here and as assistant coach at uh, Pearl River Central under Coach Collins, if my memory uh, is correct there. And so that is kind of an interesting uh, twist to to the district. Um, the kid for Van Cleve, Ricky Glenn may have it. David's got a notebook here, too. Jeff and I uh, typically don't have notebooks. And so those two guys kind of taking our uh, slacks to our uh, right. You mentioned Bilbo, the kid from Van Cleve. Give me his name and his carries. Peterson. and Peterson. So give me his numbers, David. Un- so he was, yeah, he, he, was over, he was over 100 uh, carries through three games. They're another team that – uh, played a jamboree and only played three regular season games, non-conference. So he's got over 100 carries and 900 yards. <laughs> so that's that's pretty typical of uh, Coach Fant. But what's interesting is if you if you plug in the tape and watch these guys play, it's nothing gimmicky. Uh, they will get into some spread a little bit, but they'll run some wishbone, some eye formation. He's going to get a lot of carries. They line up, Clay, and they go right at you. And, you know, that's been – if anyone's had any success against Picayune, it's been that. You're not going to run outside on them. You're not going to run those jet sweeps. That's that stuff that we've said it a lot of times to Mario and Tyson. He puts that in a cereal bowl with milk, and that's his breakfast. He will eat that alive. So they run right at you. This kid's got good vision, Clay. And Deion Bilbo had so many touches last year. There's not a lot to go around. But this kid's vision, looking at them on film, and you go back to the Hancock game, and that's a team that I know Jeff got to see – they were up, you know, a couple of scores early uh, on this Van Cleve team. And, you know, Van Cleve was able to to, to get back in that game defensively. Um, the, the speed on defense, they've got a middle linebacker who looks like he's about 6'2 or 6'3. You know, your old throwback linebacker, not a lot of speed, but, man, that guy will hit you. They Their defense is, is generating turnovers to get them back into games. But, again – You know, you wonder from a matchup standpoint if they've got a spread-type offense and a lot of speed from those specialty positions on offense, if they can match that. But, man, they've been a lot of fun to watch, and and it's been their best start since 2010. I mean, Coach Fant mentioned this last year in our interview, and I'm looking forward to talking to him again next week. You know, they're really known as a baseball school, and he's really turned that, um, you know, since he's been down there. So they'll be a lot of fun to watch, but, again, it's going to depend on – can they take that can, – can their offense really play defense and, and make up for maybe some of those deficiencies that they might have on defense and keep that clock running and run that football because they do it really, really well. Peterson yeah. has 12 touchdowns on the season too. So Through three ball games. Yeah. That's strong. He's over 100, right, Dave? 104, 105? He's on, uh, 122 carries, Good. 902 yeah. yards. He averages 7.4 a carry. So, I mean, he's getting good uh, – you know, average. that's some Dodley throwback. How many carries, uh, Jason Baker, would Dodell have with Dodley at the helm? <laughs> oh well, man! And when we talk about district play, Picayune, and we we mentioned, you know, George County, Gautier, Vantley, all these teams starting this Friday, they're beating up on each other too. So I mean, it it the the preseason, so to speak, or it, is over. So it's it's going to be you know. Every you know, every man for himself, so to speak, going into this district because they're going to have to match up. I mean, every team we're talking about is playing each other. So who's going to come out on top in the matchups that you're talking about, Rich? No, you, you're right, Jeff. I mean, and, and you look at it, I think that arguably we probably have a couple of the best quarterbacks in the state um, in our district right now. I mean, Caden Irving, we talked to him. He's a, He's committed to go play baseball at Ole Miss. I mean, he's a good-looking kid, man. Squats over 500 pounds. 
Um, and, and he's got a lot of specialty kids. They're all coming back. They've been together since they were freshmen playing on that, that varsity level. So he's a really good football player. And, you know, I've talked a lot already about Deuce. I just don't know if he's got the weapons around him this year to, to make a deep run. But you can't count George County out. I mean, those guys are tough. They're well coached. But, man, it's going to be interesting. Again, I think that 2-3-4 that spot, it's anybody's right now. Uh, it, it's going to be up for grabs. It's going to be important for Picayune to stay focused. Uh, because any one of those teams could come in and catch you slipping. So it's going to be very, very important for them to, to keep their foot on the pedal. Should be a lot of fun. What's a lot of fun about high school football is we will find out, right? You'll get to uh, see it all play out in front of us, and somebody will be playing that first weekend in December at the Rock for a chance to hoist that gold ball. We appreciate uh, y'all getting here tonight, being able to do some in-person stuff. It's kind of like old times, huh, Jeff? <laughs> We I was hoping you'd smile when we I said that. I was a little person. leery of what you would what you do right there about the whole time, but I was glad to see a smile on your face. Yeah, we haven't been in person in a while. We've been doing a lot of phone interviews and getting it uh, situated that way, but it's been good to get everybody together. It has, man, and uh, we appreciate our sponsors and our listeners. So thanks for spending some time with the Talking Ball Y'all Media Group.